Welcome back to Working Jobs Radio, a podcast about people who love what they do. I'm Tony Shang, and today we're here with part two of my interview with entrepreneur and generally cool guy, Sasha Sherman. I was originally planning to cut our combo down to two episodes, but it was just so rich that I had to extend it to three episodes. You can listen to part two and three separate from part one, but it's best to listen to the last two parts together because there's some referencing between the two episodes. In part two, we talk about the important mindset shifts that empowered Sasha to do more with his time and energy. I broke off the lid of sort of like what is possible and what I could create in the world. And the absurdity of not applying what you learn in school to something tangible and real. And it was a marketing professor who was primarily an MBA professor, right? And he would, he described to me that his MBA students, right, they would go through his curriculum, right, and they would come back, right, a year later, and they would say, hey, I just got involved in this startup. What was that stuff you taught me about marketing? <laughs> and like, and it was, and it was, just, he was just like, well, why didn't, why weren't you just working on something during it? Because you would have gotten so much more out of it. We dig into how and why Sasha chose entrepreneurship every step of the way, and why he thinks more people should try it out. Here it is. One of the things that I want to drop in because we sort of jumped ahead and talked about it earlier is that. Um, during, during the course of my, you know, my experience as an, as an entrepreneur during college, which was, um, like super serendipitous, you know, in terms of like when I, when I went to college, it wasn't like, ah, oh, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. And then I had a little bit of like, like inklings of this earlier in life. Like I had, you know, done like tennis lessons for, for little kids and like had done, um, yeah, like. But I hadn't really like, so there wasn't a, there, there was maybe a little bit of an entrepreneurial spirit there, but like it, it was serendipitous in that I literally walked into college and second semester, there were friends of mine who were like, Hey, you know, we're, we're going to buy into this business on campus, you know, and this is what it is. And I was like, Oh, that's cool. I, it would be, sounds like that would be really fun to like partake in and like be a part of. And they were like, yeah. And I was like, yeah. And so I ended up joining that team to buy this, buy out this business and, and run that for, you know, the next three years. And, and that just sort of snowballed into, into the next phases. And when I, um, and one of the, the offshoot pieces of that was, I guess, um, junior year, I had, um, I had an opportunity sort of, we had, we had talked about my parents and their very alternative sort of, I guess, somewhat alternative, perspective on the world, you know, both from their, you know, um, meditative practices, but also from a lot of the, the work that they had done in um, personal growth and, and becoming sort of therapists and things like that. And so one of the things that my father had always ta- like talked about was a course that he had taken um, when he was, I'd say in his late 20s, 30s, um, called, it was at the time called S. And it was just, he, he talked about these, these exercises that they, they did where, you know, people were just sort of like kicked out of their normal modus operandi. And, um, and I, I've been intrigued, but it was never something I was like, oh, I'm going to go do that. And, and finally he was talking about it at one point and I was just like, yeah, I want to try this. And he was like, yeah, like you can go and take, I'd be happy to like, support you in taking that. And so I went and took this course. Um, this personal growth course, and it was the first, like, time I ever did something in that realm at all. 
and it was this thing called the Landmark Forum. And it was a, it's a personal growth course that's done, you know, all across the, the world. And, you know, people go in and they walk in and they have, are you familiar with it at all? I'm not. You're not? Okay. So it's a, you know, it's a course where you go in and there are about 200 people in that take the course simultaneously. And there's a person who basically leads it and they, over the course of a weekend, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and a little, and a short piece on, uh, Tuesday evening, they have a, you know, a seminar where you begin to, um, how to describe, like, basically peel away the, the aspects of yourself, like, that may not be supporting you in having a life that you love, right? Basically, their, their tagline is live a life you love and live it powerfully. And, you know, for me, this was, this, this course, like, was incredible. Like, it was a lightning bolt to me and my experience, my outlook on the world, because it really, like, opened me up to, I guess, like, the way in which that, like, I would oftentimes get in my own way. It, I mean, for me, it, like, there was, after that point, like, I never really drank super intensely socially anymore. Like, I completely gave up sort of, like, my desire to, like, like, go out and drink nasty tasting beverages because it was like, eh, this is, I, I don't need that. And, like, I was always a very, like, exuberant and gregarious person, but it was sort of just like, all of that was just freed up. And, and I don't know that I'm really giving, giving a very clear description, but, you know, and I can, like, describe more things that, you know, people are interested, they can go look at that. And if you, and if you have questions, I can answer I, I, them. I think, I think you're just, like, you're, you're describing one of those moments where you, uh, hmm. I, I, I've had a, I think I've had a similar kind of moment of insight where you realize, um, over the course of a short period of time, or it could be a long period of time, whatever, um, uh, that a lot of deeply held beliefs or things that you didn't even realize were deeply held beliefs, uh, are not productive to who you are and what you want to be. And you start to realize some things about you that, um, really resonate and then it changes your behavior dramatically and uh i'd be curious to hear more about what it sounds like in your experience there was a lot of like you know you used the word peeling and i remember using it this morning as well like what mm-hmm. what specific like can, can you recall what was peeled off and what um, emerged from that process of peeling yeah um like the like any sort of any sort of like thinking around like this is not acceptable to me right like this type of life or this type of experience is inaccessible right it was sort of like they within that experience like you break off i broke off the lid of sort of like what is possible and what i could create in the world does that make sense yeah it does how how did I think How were you like, able to reach that in a class? Oh, good lord! Like, so how are you able to reach that in a class? Yeah, I, I feel like, like from like go, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I was gonna say my there there are that that feeling of um, overcoming the 
the default state of thinking that things are inaccessible and realizing that you know anything is possible doesn't have to be like a glib marketing slogan that really like any mm-hmm. anything within reason like things that you would actually want you can achieve them as so long as you pick the right things and you go about them in in the right way like i have friends that went from not feeling things were possible to realizing that everything was possible and then when once they realized that everything fell into place for them like it's not that anything in the external world has actually changed it's just that they've approached the same thing differently now with the mental model that they can influence it they can build upon it um and and that usually comes from an experience of either observing somebody do that or doing it themselves um sometimes by accident but i i how how i guess what i'm really how curious it, about is like how, how is it like opened a, up in this course? yeah in like a classroom setting yeah i mean so basically what you know over the course of the weekend the person who is leading the course begins to um point to different distinctions ways in which you know common commonly held sort of ways of viewing the world or like mental structures um and they present those right so you know the like one of the core and key distinctions right like this is like the p- biggest like piece of the un- like of the the peel is right the distinction between you know what happened in a certain circumstance and the story that we made up about what happened mm. right and like the like the and and really taking that as at its core and really practicing and watching other people practice right areas in their life where they they collapsed the two and began relating to right this story that they made up about what happened as their reality mm. and and really getting facility and like like a, a strong muscle and like and that's a big analogy that I think is like one that's stuck with me throughout any of the personal development work that I've done is that any and all of these types of things, even though it may smack you over the head in that moment, it is completely a muscle of applying that insight into your life, you know, and practicing applying it so that it becomes second nature because of the way in which our brains form and our, um, like the, the tracks of reactivity in our brains, whether it is, you know, the reflex of our leg kicking or the reflex of our, you know, our, like, assumption, you know, uh, assumptions are, you know, like, you know, his, historical experiences being pulled forward into the present moment, taking taking over. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. Is, is an example of a, uh, a damaging relationship between something that happens and the story that you tell yourself, like a student who's told that they're, like, for example, uh, like bad at art in art class or something like mm-hmm. that. And when they're f- like in fifth grade and then they never try art again because they, they took that one isolated experience and it, um, extrapolated it to like a, a dis- descriptive characteristic of who they are. Is that kind of what you're? Sure. In, I can give you part? like. You want, you want some, I can give you an extreme example, right? Okay. Of like, um, oh, what was, like, um, like, a, like a parent divorces another parent 
and moves out and a child makes, you know, takes that experience, right. And, and writes the story of being abandoned mm. and, and for, for that day forth, we'll never trust, you know, a certain type of like a certain, either a, somebody of the opposite sex or some specific type of person or, you know, we'll, we'll never open up fully to other people and be vulnerable because of that story of I am abandoned and, and or whatever story that that story of being abandoned, they then wrote about what that meant about them. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. And, and when you begin to, when people begin to peel away those, those stories, you get just incredible transformations that can be, you know, if they can maintain that that comprehension of that, you know, new mental model, right, that completely turn around people's lives. It's really cool to see. Yeah. What, what's uh, outside of attending a course like this or um, enlisting the help of a therapist, what's mm-hmm. a way for just the average person to experience something like this, like, you know, on their own, if, if that's possible? What is a good way of experiencing on their own? Um... I mean, I think I think within the process of journaling, it could be a very interesting thought exercise to, I mean, you literally utilize that distinction of, you know, the, like, noticing the stories that we make up about things in our life, right? And um, so there's a, a book that I'm, I'm, like, in the midst of right now called Mastermind, How to Think Like Sherlock Holmes. And yeah, I think you would, you would love it. And, um, and I mean, within this book, they're, they're talking a little bit about this as a concept, um, in the way in which, um, they're, they're talking about like the way in which, like for any information to enter into our brains, you know, we have to accept that information as true, right? For me to like say the word, you know, the, the something like there's a pink elephant over there. Right. For you to visualize pink elephant, you have to, you know, create it in your mind and, and have it exist there. Right. And, and that's a default mode. Sure. Um, and so begin to notice in your, like, to begin to journal in your life when there's something that is, uh, maybe a sticky situation. Right. Like begin practice. It's really difficult. And that's one of the reasons why it's really valuable to have a partner in this process and maybe go in and try this with a, a partner. Um, when you're, you know, when you're seeking, you know, support or advice from a friend, maybe this would be a better version of this because I'm trying to think of like, is like talking with a friend and saying, Hey, you know, like I'm, I'm struggling with this. Can like, I want you to look for in my story, you know, as I describe this to you, where in this, you know, you're seeing a divergence between, you know, the reality of what happened and where I'm adding, you know, the, a color or a story to it. Yeah. Yeah. That's because it's a, it's a very, it's like, it's a specific, um, I I think it's a specific type of listening, right. That you build is like listening for the, the, you know, that distinction, right. Like, I was going um, to ask you this morning, but yeah. do you, you, if your your parents both practiced a lot of meditation, did you? Is that something that you practiced as well, or in practice today? 
And yes. there's a reason why I ask. And, uh, yeah, I am a huge proponent of meditation as a practice. Um, I, yeah, I, I love, I love the experience of meditation and I think that it has been a major shaping factor into who I am, although I'm not very good at pointing to how it has shaped that. It was interesting when I first started meditating, my parents, you know, after a few months, said, wow, this has really made an impact on you. And I'm like, really? How? <laughs> and I, I don't understand. Like, it's one of, I feel like it's sort of like that, like, you know, the frog in the hot water when you turn up the, you know, if you put it in before you turn up the hot water, it'll never jump out because, you know, it's just the new norm. Um, but yeah. So, yeah, so what is the, the reason I ask is I, I think ask. the meditation has had a huge positive impact on me over the last year and all aspects of life, really. And I think what, what you were describing with seeing clearly where um, there is this something that happens in the world and then your interpretation of it um, mm -hmm. is, is a lot of, you know, it, it reminds me of the process of just like observing what's going on in your head and knowing when you're creating things out of nothing, like, and what's occupying your brain and just like, training yourself to see more clearly. And I, I think that's where um, you, were, you were talking about it as a muscle. That, that really resonates with me because the, um, the ability to see clearly is so, um, so much a, a, a trained skill that can atrophy if you, if you don't do it after mm -hmm. a little bit. So, um, mm -hmm. but, but knowing also how hard it is to build and maintain a practice of meditation, I, I would imagine that process of uh, seeing when you're adding your own stories to the events that you perceive, I mean, that, that would be a very challenging practice to maintain and strengthen as well. Yeah. yeah. But, but worthwhile, uh, you know. Yeah, I mean, if, if, you, if you want to relate to the world, you know, as it is, like, if you want to relate to reality rather than relate to your story, it's, you know, very important. Yeah. And very, yeah. Completely so. So you, uh, um, maybe we'll, we'll get to talk about meditation a little bit later, but um, you okay. you uh, you went to this course. It was hugely uh, a positive experience for you. And mm -hmm. then how did it relate to your decision to... Trajectory. Yeah, go to Bold. Or, or what yeah. happened between that and Bold? So I think within, within that, that was, I think, you know, as I said, sort of that, like, um, you know, my, in my decision to sort of go off the, the rails of the track, you know, I was on a very, you know, I was on within the, the, the track and up until college, you know, a little bit, you know, and then I sort of hopped off the rails a little bit running my own business and during college, you know, not necessarily doing the standard internship track during my, my summers or something like that. And then, you know, I just kept on that track rather than making the normal turn towards, you know, the, the, the swath of jobs that are out there and was like, all right, I'm just going to go along on this, this entrepreneur route and, and with this, with Fresh Prince. And I think that part of that was, you know, in the, you know, within the, like the set of experiences that had me believe that, you know, I could go out and create value on my own and build this company into something that could, you know, generate the cash flows that I needed to be able to, you know, survive and thrive on a day-to-day -day basis. Mm. And, and that lasted through, you know, through October. And, and I, I still to this day believe that that company could have definitely boomed and had a lot of success 
and and uh, where it actually landed is i mean it is still existing and and thriving um and my vision for that was basically a um you know a technology platform that would facilitate in the the ordering you know facilitate a lot of the um the processes within that that business and really transform transform is a really bad like overplayed word but like it was a the next step in that sphere of you know like group apparel ordering and what basically my my vision was what was ended up built by what ended up getting built by Teespring, the Y Combinator company that has done very well in capturing a good chunk of market share. Yeah. Um, and um, and so when I got the opportunity with Bold, which was like, as I said, like every job that I've had has serendipitously sort of just fallen in my lap. And that is just something that is I am super grateful for. And like when I was first, you know, first joined the off the row, you know, my friends came up to me and were like, hey, we're doing this apparel thing. And I was like, hey, that sounds cool. Let's do that. And they're like, yeah, come join. When I started Fresh Prince, you know, my friend who is at Penn, you know, had been doing sales for me at off the row and was like, hey, you know, like, you know, do we want to do you want to do this at other campuses? And I was like, yeah. And then I talked to the other business partners. They weren't really aligned with that vision. And so I was like, yeah. And he was like, you want to do this with me? And I was like, yeah. And so then I started the second business with him doing Fresh Prince and, and, like expanding the model into a multi-campus sales platform. And then, you know, Aaron came, came and we were, we had been chatting about our, our, our own enterprises post-graduation, sort of talking about the trials and tribulations of being an entrepreneur and, you know, looking at, and just giving each other feedback along the way and just sort of cheering each other on. And, you know, the opportunity arose where, his, you know, for his planned first hire, who is a person who is a seasoned, you know, sales manager in this sphere of the consumer packaged goods realm, you know, who had helped him build up his sales team and, you know, some, I guess, given him some guidance in finding the co-packers and all that sort of stuff. And he had, you know, put together all this, the original sort of um, early foundational aspects of the, the company that is now Bold Organics. Um, you know, ended up jumping ship on him, you know, a few months before launch for a safer opportunity because pioneering a new brand in, you know, in the consumer packaged goods realm is not necessarily an easy, easy process. And so Aaron comes to me and is like, Hey, I got a job for you. And I'm like, terrific. This, let me try this pizza. And the pizza was absolutely phenomenal. And, and what I had, you know, and I had this fresh <laughs> prince thing. Yeah. So I've got my, I got my, my baby that I built over the past, what, three years now? I got a ton of people who were depending on me, right? I got a business partner who's, you know, one of my business partners off, you know, still in school. The, my technology partner is still in school. My other partners, um, you know, moved on to, to do the banking thing. And I'm like, ah. And so I call up one of my, one of my friends from college and I'm like, Hey, do you know anyone who, you know, like if I did want to go down this route, you know, cause, cause from a strategic standpoint, like I studied strategy during school. So like I really got clear, you know, by the end of school that unless I was truly innovating, right? Especially, I mean, and the technology standpoint would have been an innovation within this, this world, right? That there wasn't there, the barriers to entry, 
the market dynamics of the, you know, the promotional products industry are absolutely horrendous. And so, you know, like that, that wasn't necessarily a beautiful sort of opportunity. And the other side was Bold Organics, which is, you know, significantly higher barriers to entry. You know, it was a well capitalized, it was well capitalized. And, you know, there was a differentiated product in a, I mean, gluten free was just on this, uh, it was on its beginnings, but it was definitely on the up and up, you know, and so rising tides lift all boats in my mind. And so I was like, ah, and so I call up a friend and I'm like, hey, so I, I've got this other opportunity, you know, I'm thinking about what to do with fresh friends. Do you know anybody who you think would be interested in like taking it over? And he was like, me, me, I want to, I want to do that. I, I'm going to, if I found somebody else to do it with me, like, I'll do it. And I was like, perfect. How convenient. <laughs> literally, literally the first person I called, I was like, Hey, I'm like, I got this company. And he was like, yes, I will do that. And, and to this, and so now at this point, him and one other guy, this guy who he had, you know, selected was, they're, they run it now full time post grad. They're on 30 campuses now and growing. Wow. And, you know, they're, they're built, yeah, and they, they're building it as their, you know, two people's full time post graduation. So that was the coolest thing. And, and during that transition, that was an interesting transition process, right? Cause I'm onboarding into an entirely new industry. I've had no experience in being trained by, right, an entrepreneur who had also Sorry, I forgot to add this context of like who Aaron was and like how I had met him, right? Because Aaron was a guy who I met during college in my, I was a senior, he was a sophomore. And I was in an entrepreneurship class, you know, just filling up some, some of the entrepreneurship credits for, for that major. And, you know, he was in there and he would wear a suit to class every day and ask extremely like real estate focused questions. And it was just, he was, and I was just like, who is this guy? <laughs> and so, and then I end up at one point, I forget how I found out about it, but it, it turned out that he had put together this speaker series, right? On campus of all of these real estate developers. And I ended up going to one, right? And it was this, it was the CEO of a $4 billion real estate development fund. And, and, you know, it was a great presentation and, and I started chatting with him and I, I learned that not only had he put together a speaker series, he had actually built an entire curriculum for a real estate development curriculum an inter, inter, you know, uh, both business school and architecture school degree that integrated in, um, local local developers who were going to advise students, a national, like, group of speakers, as well as, you know, like, all these amazing experiences, hands-on experiences. Holy crap. And so that was my first introduction to him. And so now, so fast forward now back to, you know, when I'm onboarding at Pulled Organics, right, I'm learning a new industry from from a guy who's two years younger than me, right, and had been doing this for maybe nine, ten months. And while simultaneously trying to train two sophomores in college and how to run this business that neither of them had either operated, like had any experience in. It was a very hectic time. 
So th this was so the two sophomores were the ones that were taking over Fresh Prince, and then Aaron yeah. had started Bold Organics. Yeah. And you were starting to work with him on Bold Organics. Yeah. And so I I I hand turned over um, Fresh Prince and and started with Aaron, and Aaron had at that point taken a, a leave from school. And this is all. To, to so you're you're a, you're a senior in college at this point. This is I am. This is October post grad. So I worked oh, on. Okay. I worked on. I worked on Fresh Prince full time from May through October, basically. Okay. And, did and you, then I handed. Yeah. So, so your your intention before talking to Aaron about Bold was to continue running Fresh Prince. Yes. Okay. Wow. I I, I love the line. So I tried the pizza, as yeah. <laughs> the pivotal yeah. moment. That, I mean, that's all that matters, right? Yeah, like, is the product the good? Like, if I'm gonna be, if I'm gonna be spending my day and night selling something, I gotta freaking love it, right? Yeah, absolutely. At least I would hope. I mean, there are probably people who have to sell stuff that they don't like. I, I tried that at one point. I, there was a summer where I went to try and get a job, and it was like, it was working for like this company that was working with Verizon, where you were trying to like sort of somewhat trick businesses into like, upgrading but they were getting a lower cost on their contract because they were you know you were slipping them a you know longer term contract so they got a better rate in the end i was like but they're not they don't get the best benefits here it's just like i can't i can't push that but anyway so so yeah so then that was how i got into bold and bold is you know like the whole the next step of you know just the non-standard occupation right because i'm i'm now running a you know i'm, I'm running the Salesforce, um which is also a great great transition right of of running a, a student Salesforce, force right all of the people who are working for me at fresh prince were all students and, and one of the really difficult aspects of you know running a student run business is that all of your talent are students who have a lot of different priorities um some of which are school, some of which are partying and dating and being a kid and all that sort of stuff. And so, like, the finding that talent, as well as also, I thought, which was a very interesting thing, back to the, you know, our conversation earlier of, like, the benefit of entrepreneurship during college, right, that I could, I could talk with some incredible talent, right, because, you know, schools are just brimming with it, right, but they may be running you know, running a running point in an organization, right? Like a fraternity or sorority, and they may be, you know, queued up to be a membership chair or something like that, right? And, you know, I got to say, you know, being a membership chair, I've, I've been, I was a social chair, you know, like there are some phenomenal skills that you get from that experience, you know, organi organizing people, rallying people, you know, creative sort of, you know, marketing maybe, right? But the option of that, and doing, you know, sales for a campus where, you know, I was giving them an opportunity to build a team, you know, and and build a, a source of income for themselves and a set of very specific business skills, right, that they could transfer into their post-grad sort of interviews and, and you know, career trajectory. People were very hesitant to step away from, you know, the basically the social, um, the, the social capital that they otherwise garner from being an active member in their chapter. And so, and that you have to fight, like trying to employ students, you got to fight that. Yeah. It's, it's kind of bizarre. Now that, now that you bring it up, I'm just reflecting on my own experience. 
with extracurriculars and just mm -hmm. all the other things that I spent time on outside of playing sports and going to school, I don't, I definitely wasn't ready as a college student to take on something like what you did in college because it just seemed like so far afield of what the gatekeepers that I would face at the end of my college experience would understand or because I didn't understand it like now now when I look at it it's just so obvious that that's where if you have an interest in it you're going to learn more than anything else you do I was just doing a perfunctory job like being a member at different nonprofit orgs and like social organizations and not really having any kind of deeper passion than just wanting to do a good enough job for me to put it on my resume when I apply to jobs. I, I, would, mm -hmm. I would have learned so much more had I done something entrepreneurial or worked with somebody entrepreneurial during that time instead. Yeah. I know. But I, and it's, it's, so, it's such an attitude. It's just like the cultural attitude. And I, I, I imagine that it'll shift and more people will try to follow the, like, do, take, make more decisions that were um, more resembled yours. Especially, I mean, when you look at MBAs right now, a lot of MBAs go to business school just to start a company now. Like, it's a good two-year break to find people to work on projects with and, and make things happen, which is kind of, which is also a bizarre concept to me to go, you know, $200,000 into debt to try to start a company, but... Maybe can I tell you? Can I tell you a story that? All right. So I I got very close with one of my one of my my favorite professors. My senior year was a course which like was a, another wonderful like key like you know key up to my my next sort of job, which was a course in sales Salesforce management and personal selling, and it was a marketing professor who was primarily an MBA professor. Right, and he would he described to me that his MBA students, right, they would go through his curriculum, right, and they would come back, right, a year later, and they would say, "Hey, I just got involved in this startup. What was that stuff you taught me about marketing?" <laughs> and like, and it was, and it was, just, he was just like, "Well, why didn't, why weren't you just working on something during it? Because you would have gotten so much more out of it." And so he ended up actually leaving Wash U to go and and work at. University of Missouri, Kansas City, right? Which to me is like, huh? Right? But UMKC has a program where their entrepreneurship program, you go into the school and the, a requirement for graduating is you have to have started a company and hit certain thresholds in, in establishing a business. Wow. That's wild. And it's like, yeah, that's an MBA. My man, it reminds uh, another guy that I interviewed for one one of the first interviews I did um, for this project was a friend of mine from McKinsey named Mike mm -hmm. Caps, who he went to Harvard for undergrad and then we were at McKinsey together. He was in the San Francisco mm -hmm. office, and then around the time I left, he just bought a one way plane ticket to Brazil, and mm -hmm. was like, "I love Brazil. I think Brazil is a really good space." And he's, he's always had a bit of an entrepreneurial streak to him, but mm -hmm. didn't have anything set up. He's just like, I'm going to go to Brazil and I'm going to start something in the healthcare space. And so yeah. for the last year and a half, he's been doing that. And when we talked, he was just like, he, he, he was reflecting on how little anything he'd done had prepared him to do this. This was like the big lead up, you know, like everything mm -hmm. was, I'm going to learn all the skills I need in order to do this thing. Turns out yeah. all he needed was the plane ticket. 
because uh-huh. he learned that you will not know anything. You. <laughs> <laughs> you will definitely not know anything walking into whatever you do. Yeah. You might know something, but you will learn 10x that, the 20x that in the process. And now is like, like my experience, right, of being like being an entrepreneur, going through and like doing the the bold the bold organic thing. The coolest thing, right, was we had we had capital, we had the sales force, right. So as I was describing, like rather than a student sales force, I had a professional sales force, right, that we were paying. They're called brokers, brokers in the natural in the in the food world, right. And they are you know one of the key pieces of that industry that make it go round. And they're the the go go betweens between you and all of your customers, all of the retailers that are selling your products. They have the they have relationships with the different buyers. They're in the stores making sure that your products are on shelf, looking good, at the right price point, whatever it might be, and managing that relationship. Right. And so these people who were working for me were also tutoring me throughout this process. Right. Because mm-hmm. I came in and I came in and and I I I I am I'm the type of person, this is something I was taught in life, right? That so you walk in and you say, you say what it is, right? And I'm like, hi, this is who I am. This is what I know, right? And I am a sponge for information. I will ask a, it, sorry. No worries. My mother, my mother has some desperate need for Excel help right now. She's, <laughs> um, <laughs> she's, she's learning some new entrepreneurial things too, but that's, um, but so, but you just, you put yourself at the at the mercy, you know, and you just say, "Hey, this is what I know. Just please, you know, share with me the information that I need." And so I was just schooled by person after person. And and I think the industry that I'm in, the natural the natural foods world especially, is just a very kind, gentle, and generous sort of industry. It's very, you know, it's a it's a crunchy sort of granola granola kind of place. And so anybody and everybody that I've you know, come into contact with, you know, they have been just so overly generous with their, their information and bringing a new perspective, bringing, you know, the perspective that of, you know, just somebody who, I don't know, just maybe takes a step back and says, okay, why is it done this way? What are some other, and brainstorms a few other ways that things can go? Do you end up maybe getting some, some new and different results? And, you know, that's been part of how us as a company, you know, my, our founder who's, you know, 20, just turned 24 yesterday and, and myself, you know, have built a, you know, a CPG company into, you know, over 5,000 retailers around the U.S., you know, and a phenomenal product assortment and, and had a ton of success so far. Hey, can you, can you, uh, do you want to take an opportunity and plug Bolt? I, I actually, I looked at the website and, um, it wasn't until you mentioned eating the pizza and talking about gluten that I, uh, it dawned on me that it might be a gluten-free CPG brand, but um, oh yeah. yeah, it's not a it is not a gluten-free CPG brand, but that is where we started. We started out in in the um, you know Aaron began really focused on creating a allergen-free pizza. He had actually had a gluten and dairy dairy intolerance sensitivity throughout his you know childhood, but he never really got it until he was in high school. He was playing tennis competitively and, you know, he was a bit overweight and his mother's like, hey, I just, his mother had just recovered from breast cancer and she was like, I just took dairy and gluten out of my diet. I felt so much better. Why don't you try it? And so 
he did and just saw just immense health benefits for himself from that. And so he, and so he continued with that diet, but you know, he lost out on some of his favorite foods. And so fast forward to him now being in college, you know, and his, we're in this entrepreneurship class and his professor is like, Hey, write a business plan for a company that, you know, you think could succeed out in the marketplace. And so he's like, well, I can't be the only one who's like gluten and dairy intolerant, right? Like somebody else has got to be. And I love pizza. Like what's the most <laughs> biggest thing that I miss? Pizza, right? And wow. so he's like, and so he starts doing the research and he's like, oh, wait, there are actually a ton of people and it's growing and more and more people are waking up to the fact that maybe gluten isn't necessarily the right thing for their digestive tract. And so we, he ends up, you know, getting connected with his chef based in St. Louis who had been messing around with gluten-free and allergen-free recipes in his restaurant all over the place and, you know, ends up getting, you know, getting partnering with the chef and the chef develops this phenomenal pizza. And so he's <laughs> like, and he brings it, he actually brought in pizza to his, to his, um, to the final, like the one of the last classes for everybody to try. Um, and I had, maybe I'd had a slice if I hadn't remember it by the time I actually like did the, did the course. And also, wait, this actually reminds me of another. All right. I'm going to interject a very, a side tangent story that was just a like senior year, wonderful intersection of like all of my experiences. And it was during our, one of my classes, we, it was called market competition. I think it was market competition value appropriation. It was a game theory class. And, um, and our professor said at the end of the year, right, we're going to watch a video, like a movie, you know, sort of that really illustrates a lot of the concepts of, of this class. And it ended up being Dr. Strangelove. And, you know, and somebody, you know, shouts out, yeah, can we have, can we have, uh, can we bring in, uh, pizza, you know, pizza for the movie? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, well, how about we have a pizza competition? And this is before bold anything like that ever had entered my life. And so I end up hosting, right, a competition amongst all of the pizzerias of St. Louis. We had seven different pizzerias donate pizza. I called each of them and just got them on the phone and was like, hey, I'm in this class. We're holding a pizza competition. Do you want to partake? This, this, and this other people are doing it. And somehow I got, like, somehow I just got everybody to be like a yes immediately. And so we had like more pizza than anybody could eat. And we brought in scorecards and we gave out a trophy and it was just, it was a lot of fun. And that was like a great intersection of like the sales and strategy and all that sort of culminating my senior year. And and like good old college uh, figuring out how to get pizza for free. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh man, if only I figured that out freshman year. It been... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> could have uh, could have started Yelp at that point. Yeah, you're just like, is this Sasha again? Let me guess. Another one of your classes is having a pizza another, competition. Another competition. Uh, <laughs> uh, you guys, we haven't won yet. I'm not participating this time. <laughs> so it's it's so bizarre. That you're bringing up this gluten-free pizza stuff. Mm-hmm. And are, are you... Yeah. I think my, my girlfriend's in the room. I think she has headphones on. But the last... Uh, it's uh, she, it, she would die if she heard what we were talking about. Because for the last 
five days we haven't had any gluten. It's like oh, it's one of the testing? things we're trying to do this year. Uh-huh. Because uh-huh. um I think we we both realized that eating gluten doesn't make us feel that great. So yeah. but every almost every day we've brought up pizza and wow. making some form of gluten free pizza. So might might have you guys to be gotta a try organic food. pizza. Oh nice. Yes. Oh. And so let me also put in that after we had built out, you know, we, we started selling the, the gluten-free, dairy-free pizza and like, like a little more like entrepreneur, like in the, in the weeds of on being an entrepreneur, right? We started out, right? And I joined in right before the launch was planned to be January. I started in October, right? So Aaron had just gone and pitched all of the Whole Foods regions, Whole Foods buys in 11 different regions, right? And so he had pitched them all. And, and now we were like about to go to market, but we hadn't heard back from anybody. Right. And over the course of those next couple months, right. Every single region said no, except for one. (laughs) (laughs) It was like, it was, and, and some, and like, but like, I I held out hope. I was like, and we started in this, in Florida, the Florida region. Right. We started in like a bunch of little mom and pop independent shops and Deerberg's is like one grocery chain in the Midwest that our, the sh- like our chef had walked into and, you know, he pitched them and they were like, yeah, we'll do it. And like, and also when we first came to market, our, our box, our box looked, uh, how to describe this? Our box looked as though it truly belonged in a GNC, like in a GNC, <laughs> right? Like it was, it was, it was like metallic logo, sort of like this fiery flare shooting out from every direction around the pizza. It was just like, whoo. And like, and so within the first few months after we started, we started seeing, you know, sales and stuff. But like after, after a couple months, we like, we were like, all right, we really need to, we really need to change this. I need to take a look at this packaging. We re- reinvented our packaging with a with a branding firm, and it came out ten times better. But that was a phenomenal, like sort of like whoa. And so after we did the gluten free thing, we built that into a you know a, you know good chunk of the um, of the U.S. coverage. We we saw we're like okay, gluten free is big, but it is you know there's a cap on sort of like how big. Uh, gluten-free market is, and our brand is definitely not bold organic, gluten-free, dairy-free, right? We gotta, we gotta look at like the bigger picture. And so we looked at, okay, well, what are we? You know, and we were like, all right, what we are is we're a frozen Italian foods company. And so our next line was certified organic rising crust pizzas, similar to like the classic DiGiorno, but made with organic ingredients. And so, and so that was sort of like, beginning to just step back and like look bigger and bigger. And that's really like the question of like, right. Anytime you're looking at a problem, right. Uh, one of my, uh, one of my favorite quotes from that entrepreneurship professor was, you know, whether or not you're setting out to build a million dollar business or a billion dollar business, no matter what, it's going to take all of your time. <laughs> so you might as well yeah. go for the bigger business. <laughs> that's a really good quote. <laughs> it's 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 the truth right like <laughs> whether or not you are running you know like a single restaurant or face 
It is going to take all of your time. Yeah. Huh. I'm just, I'm, I'm having a moment of reflection because I'm, I think I'll get there sometime this year, but I'm resistant to going after too big of a thing. Mm-hmm. But I think all roads lead that direction. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Okay, go go on. So what what's you 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 got rejected by everybody, you got into one region, you were in mom and pop stores, you started getting traction, now you're in many more regions? Is that the evolution of the story? Oh yeah, we yeah, we penetrated into um, about half of the Whole Foods regions. We have our products in all of the Kroger stores. Um, we've done, we put our products into every single region of Costco, um, Walmart. We're about to roll out. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Walmart, actually, Walmart was the store that first stocked our new line of pizzas, our Rising Crest pizzas. What right. you, this is this is kind of crazy. Like it just it's such... super. Oh, all right. Wait. Here's the, here's the, this is another one of my like, and it's like also like the the glory and like thing of being an entrepreneur is stuff like this, right? Like like Aaron Aaron gotten a had gotten a meeting with with uh, with Walmart. He's like, hey, we need to. I want to meet with Sam's Club too while I'm down there. And I'm like, all right. Well, cool. Well, I'll make that. We'll make that happen, right? And so. I end up, I end up like trying to figure out who the Sam's, cause there's no public directory of who these people are, right? And so I'm like, alright, how do I figure out who the Sam's Club buyer is? And so I end up like, you know, you learn to work LinkedIn very well, right? And so I find some potential candidates, but I can't find the right person. And I end up at a trade show in New York, and I'm walking around, and I see somebody with a Sam's Club badge on, and I'm like, Ha, huh, is the frozen pizza buyer here? And they're like, oh, so-and-so? No. And I'm like, ah, oh, great. <laughs> and so now I had her name. <laughs> and so, and so I called into the switchboard, right? And that was like, that was a whole nother, like the cold calling thing of like, I just call into a switchboard and I'm like, can I talk to you? And you just get directed to that person and they pick up the phone and you're like, hey, what's up? This is what's going on. But I get her on the phone and I'm like, hi, CEO's going to be there. This is what we're doing. Do you want to meet with him? And and so she agrees to meet with him. And the day before his his Walmart meeting, and so now he has a meeting with Sam's Club, right? And he was like, and, and my my the Aaron is like an incredible individual. Right? I mean, beyond the fact that like he is the age he is and he's accomplished what he has done, right? But he has almost like no fear of any circumstance. Um, and it's one of the traits that just make him a superb entrepreneur. And this was like the first meeting where he was like a bit nervous because our products in Sam's Club, yeah, I mean, like you wouldn't necessarily picture, you know, organic pizza and Sam's Club being like best friends. And so he ends up going in there and he kills it in this meeting. It was a phenomenal setup for Walmart because, you know, he just, his confidence was through the roof. And then he goes for the Walmart meeting, right? And I'm on my way out to Long Island at this, uh, you know, at this hour when he's on his way into the meeting and he gives me a call and he's like, Hey, it's 45, like it's almost time for the meeting. I just called her to ask where the oven is. And she said she didn't book a kitchen. What do I do? And I'm like, all right, what hotel are you staying at? And so he tells me his hotel and I search on my phone 
I find his hotel location, I search pizzeria, right? And the first one, one of the ones that pops up is like, oh, like Michael Antononi's New York style pizza. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, this is hurt. And so I call this pizzeria and I get the, and I'm like, I need to speak with the manager. And I, I tell him, like, my, my CEO's in town. He's presenting to Walmart. He's got this emergency and he has no oven. Can you help us out? And the guy's like, yeah, happily. And so like, I send Aaron to the pizzeria, like, and he's there. Pizzas come out perfectly. Meeting goes perfectly. All right, like the buyer was just in in tears, laughing at the story that like <laughs> this is how he got these pizzas cooked, and uh, and we got into Walmart and Sam's Club actually. What uh, what was your reaction when you guys heard that you had gotten in? I mean, like every, I mean, every time it's just like this, like, like, you know, like king of the world. Sort yeah. Of thing. I imagine it's kind of oh like, my God. like winning the national championship over and over again every time it happens. I, I, yeah. But then it's like, and then there are all the times where it doesn't happen. It's such a roller coaster mm. because like it had, like, cause there, you know, there are the reviews that don't go your way and you're like, oh. But there's always the hope. There's always the next one. There's always the next decision that's just sort of sitting there on the other side of the hill. And you're just like, <gasps> what will happen? So, yeah. You, you and said, now we're, yeah. What, what, Go ahead. How, how would you describe the relationship that you have with this, these potential outcomes versus like the enjoyment or lack thereof of the, just the day-to-day grind of you know, building the business? All right, sweet. Ask the question again. I, I guess, just, sure. just to kind of like reframe it, I think there there are two camps when it comes to like I guess motivation or productivity, where or or just like you know be. Uh, I think motivation is probably the right word. Where it's either like you you get motivated by thinking about what kind of amazing outcome or horrible consequence might lie the, at the end of a journey, uh, or you just try to position yourself so that no matter what the outcome um, is, you're just doing everything you can in the present moment, like over and over again. And that accumulates to give you the best shot of achieving that outcome. But it's ultimately, you know, that, that it's ultimately process focused rather than outcome focused. Or you know, the other um, side of it would be like, it's more outcome focused and then the process just uh, gets you there and sometimes it sucks. I think I would. I think I would, like, I would like to be more process focused, but I think, like, I vacillate between process and outcome. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, like, I think, I, yeah. I think I know a lot of things, like, you know, with, like, the muscles, right? Like, you know, like, I'm building, building the muscles of not being on the roller coaster and mm-hmm. being sort of on, on, you know, the flat surface. And it's, and it takes, you know, and it takes noticing when you're on the roller coaster to be able to step off. Yep. And sometimes you, yeah. Have you noticed noticed the the highs getting, or I guess the the peaks and valleys um, getting less tall and deep? As you've had, I mean, we, I, we actually, we actually got a, I just was told that we had gotten our new, we're launching um, organic pizza pockets. 
Oh, delicious. In, yes. Oh, my God. I actually had I had two for dinner tonight. <laughs> two test it. Because we... Because one of the other wonderful things about being a food company is you get a lot of testing samples to, like, figure out what, what you're going to do. And so I was trying some old iterations tonight, and, oh, my God, so good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited for these to actually for these to come out. They're going to be great. And so I heard, um, like, two or three days ago that those are going, those are going launching into Walmart. Um, and I was just like, all right, cool. Like, it was, it was less of, like, a woo! Um, but there are certain ones like Kroger, like Kroger, Kroger is like the biggest deal. I th- I mean, at least in my opinion, like they are the largest, most consistent retailer. Like Costco, Costco will trump Kroger in terms of your, you know, you make trump them in terms of like how much the sales are, but they are not as consistent normally. Costco is very much uh in and out business. They'll like put your products in and then take them out. But like if, you know, Kroger review time. We're actually like waiting on some new products, but like in the next, hopefully next week we'll hear back from on them and that'll be like, uh, and I, I don't even know how to celebrate anymore. You know, like when you do it so many times, it's like, just like, you gotta jump up and down a few times and be like, hey. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Working Jobs Radio. If you enjoyed what you heard, please go into iTunes and leave a short review. It really helps us. If you want to learn more about me, go to TonyShang.com. If you want to learn more about Sasha, go to bold-organics.com or find him on LinkedIn. And um, any questions, suggestions, feedback, uh, get at me at Twitter, at Tony Shang. And stay tuned for part three with Sasha Sherman coming up soon.